people pay good money to see this movie. When they go out to a theater, they want cold sodas, hot popcorn, and no monsters in the projection booth. Everyone pretend podcasting isn't boring. Turn it off. Whose land is this? My land. Well, 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 our war hero has arrived. You made a good choice coming back here. Those days are the finest, wealthiest, and most beautiful people on God's earth. They outsmarted everybody. They have the say. Who gets the oil? Son, I got a question. You like women? <laughs> That's my weakness. <laughs> Well, we mix these families together, and that estate money flows the right direction. It'll come to us. Shomikasi. That's how you are. I don't know what you said, but it must have been Indian for handsome devil. <laughs> Why did you come here? I work with my uncle. Are you scared of him? Oh, he's, a, he's the nicest man in the world. The Osage, their time is over. We got to take back control of our home. I was sent down from Washington, D.C. to see about these murders. We have so many deaths, we've lost count. It's just bad luck. Seems more like an epidemic than bad luck to me. The Osage is dying by the enemy. Do not let them die alone. Evil surrounds my heart. You gotta pick a side. I don't even know if you love me anymore. Of course I love you. Then kill these men who killed my family. Did your wife say who she was most afraid of? Do something you're going to regret for the rest of your life. I ain't got nothing but regret. Hey, folks. Welcome to a special episode of The Projection Booth. I'm your host, Mike White. On this episode, I am talking with Brandon K. McLaughlin. He is the special effects coordinator on many, many films, including Martin Scorsese's latest film, Killers of the Flower Moon. I think I could have spent hours talking with Mr. McLaughlin. He's had a fascinating career. You get a little slice of that here, and I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. Obviously, I want to talk to you about Killers of the Flower Moon, but can you tell me, how did you even get into the business? How did you go into special effects work? It started when I was eight years old. <laughs> Yeah, it's a family business. My dad got my uncle in, and my uncle was working on the movie called Rocketeer. In the film, the Rocketeer is running along the top of the Zeppelin, and the Zeppelin's blowing up. Halloween night, it was October 31st. I was eight years old, and I got to see that in person. From that point on, it was like, that's what I'm doing. There's no other choices. That's, yeah, that was my introduction into 
what special effects what my uncle did for a living. I was like, ah, that's it. That's what I'm doing. Wow. Did you start off with like practical or more computer-based effects? What was your your kind of path that way? No computer-based. There was no such thing as computer-based when I got in. I started when I was 17 years old. I left high school my junior year. And while every, all my friends were in senior year in high school, I was taking classes in the community college and working on Twister. You were not fooling around. No, I went right into it and I haven't looked back. As I look at your CV and it's just one hit movie after another, it's just wild to see you started off your first credited role in IMDb anyways, like Hard Rain and then right to Armageddon. Yeah. The reason why I didn't get a credit for Twister is because I was a PA. I, I started at the bottom. I started by cleaning up the shop, sweeping the shop and cleaning the trailers and learning everything from the ground up. I didn't know how to weld. I didn't, I didn't know anything. Everything's been, it's on the job training, everything. And what's amazing to me is that looking at, again, to your CV, I'm seeing movies where I'm like, I don't remember any special effects in there. Is that kind of the goal is the best special effects are the ones that you don't notice? The movies that I personally want to work on are the movies where special effects aren't the big explosions and the flipping the cars and everything else. The special effects are the elements that are added to the film to entice the audience to really enjoy the story and and completely envelop the audience in the story and to make the story that much more potent to an audience member rather than just walking down the street talking about a somebody's parent died we add rain and that adds that little extra element of sadness you bring the audience into more of what you want the character to be portraying on the film itself my look upon effects isn't like i said the big explosions or the big gags the house is coming down or all that kind of stuff it's the small stuff where you don't really notice it it just adds to the sequence or the scenes that you're watching and i saying that i don't know how to do that stuff I did wonder woman 2 or wonder woman 84 and i've worked on all the big massive blockbuster films but in those films, you're brought in to do special effects. The ones I like to work on is when I sit there with, say, Killers of the Flower Moon, and I'm sitting down with Martin Scorsese. How do you want this vault explosion to look? Do you want it to look like a vault explosion? Or are we selling the fact that Kirby doesn't know what the heck he's doing? He's completely overloaded the vault. He's burned all the money he's going in for. We're selling the fact that It's not the vault exploding. We're selling the fact that he doesn't know how to use pyrotechnics. He doesn't know how to use explosives. So it's not, you're watching the film, but the message we're getting across is that he doesn't know what the hell he's doing. Not that he's breaking into a vault. It's a different reaction. When you get approached for a job, say it's Lincoln or Killers of the Flower Moon, whatever you're working on. Do they come to you with a brief or do you apply for the the job and say, I can do this? Or how does that work for you? Uh, It's a mixture of both because I'm still fairly new at being a coordinator because I just stepped into that role five years ago. Before that, I come from 15 years of being the set foreman, which is the step right below the coordinator. So I'm involved. I'm 
as the set foreman, you're involved in everything. You're involved in how the gags are being designed, how they're being built, how we're doing this set, how we're doing that set, because I'm the last defense before it goes on camera as a set foreman. So it was an easy transition to getting into the, the coordinator role. Once you step into that, it's either A, who you've worked with and they want to hire you to do another job. B, it's recommendation and they either give you a script or they give you they give you a little teaser of what the film is and they want to see what your response is or how you would do a certain gag if they're if you're aligned with the director and the producers. They don't sit there and say that to you. They don't go, we were thinking of doing it this way. How were you thinking of doing it? No, they say, we want to, here's an example. I just did Alexander 2, which was a Disney Plus film. And their biggest concern was we have children and we want to get a 79 Winnebago stuck in a river and have it float down the river. What are your ideas on how to do that and how to do it safely? In my world, there's multiple ways to skin a cat. You can do the same gag 15 different ways. The audience would never know how you did it. It still looks the same. What's the best way to make it work with the money that you have, the location that you're shooting in, the, all the variables that are the kids. You got to do it with kids. You got to be safe. So it, it, every job is different, but most gags are pretty much based on the same thing. You just have to do minor little tweaks to, flipping a car. You don't want the car to flip twice, but you want it to flip once. You're still using the same apparatus. You're just turning it down a little bit so it doesn't flip so much. That's how I got that job was they heard the words coming out of my mouth. And, and it was along the same line of what the producers were thinking of and Disney was thinking of. So that got that job. The job that I'm up for now that I'm talking to, it was because it's the same people that did News of the World. And they, I mean, it came from his mouth. The producer came, it came from his mouth. He did such a great job for us. We just want to get you locked into this. We want you to do this. It's a variable. It's a variable. Every show is different, but you do get to a point where you're just getting callbacks because of the job you've done before, which is the biggest compliment you can get in my book. You're working with some pretty big folks. It sounds like as well. That's where I like to be. You've seen my IMDB page, and you see the style of films that I like to work on. It's not the big blockbusters. Yes, there's a couple of them in there, but it's more of the films that are telling a really good story. That's a really good artistic film. That's what I want to be involved in. I want to be able to sit down with all the creators of the film and go, hey, what if we do it this way? Or, hey, you know what I could do to add to that? What if we do this or to sell that it's a little bit colder? Why don't I do a little frosting on the ground? So you guys get that feel. So it's to me, that's more fun rather than being thrown into a pot. You're a number. We're doing this and this, go make it happen. And you don't have, you're just trying to make the job happen. You're just trying to get the product out. And that's to me, that's what it is. The big blockbuster films are product. They're not out. You're not going to see them because of the storyline. You're not going to see them because of what they're trying to get across to the audience. You're not going, the audience isn't going there and the filmmakers aren't trying to make the audience think they're just trying to take them out of their reality for two, three hours so that they can just be vegetables, just have a reprieve from their life. I want the ones where five, six, seven, 10 years down the road, you go, oh, you did, there will be blood. Oh my God, that was amazing. And it, 
aligned with what was going on in my life and it made me think and how do you open a film up with no spoken words in the first half hour of that film that's what i aspire to be that's what i want to have on my resume is films that make you think and stand the, the test of time just all of the stuff around the oil wells must have been a nightmare yeah i'm not saying they're easy films <laughs> they do pose a lot more they pose their own specific type of issues, of problems, of difficulties. And that's another reason why I like doing them is because that's the whole reason why I'm, one of the reasons why I'm in this industry is it's challenging. It's extremely challenging at times. And when you get into a film like There Will Be Blood, we were four miles out in the middle of nowhere on a desert, on a dirt road. We were, what was it, three hours closest to the closest major town. How do you buy a PVC? How do you buy a piece of PVC? How do you get parts? How do you get, you have to factor all of that in. When you start a show, you have to factor, okay, it's going to be a whole day for me to get a stick of pipe. So that's, it's also another part of why I end up doing those films because they are challenging. Who, other than the director, who do you work the most with? I imagine you have to work with the production designer quite a bit. You're right. It depends on how much interaction I have with sets. Um, if construction or the set designer is building building sets that they have to do a specific thing for a show, then we are hand-to-hand. I'm involved in the blueprints before it even goes into construction. No, I need this supported a little bit more to handle this weight or we're moving this section of the wall because that's where the car's driving through or what have you. So it's a hand-in-hand, it's a hand-in-hand thing, but goes on sets. So if I'm not involved in four or five of the sets, I really, I stay involved in it just so I know if I have to rig a fireplace or if I have to rig wall sconces or something like that, I need to make sure that the backside of the wall is accessible or the way that they build the fireplace has to be to specific regulations for us if we're doing it in LA County or if we're doing it in New Mexico or so there's a good a relationship between the production designer and myself. And that is also somebody who I look at who they hire for a film that makes, that adds to my decision, whether or not I'm going to do the film or not. Cause you can work with some of those people where oh, I got it. I'll just, I'll give you whatever. And I have to show up on the day and make things happen, which it's extremely difficult sometimes. But if you get to those people where you've worked, where you've worked with them before, or they're, they're good people they know how to do their job, but they're decent people to talk to and work with, and they know what they're doing. It makes it much easier to do my job than trying to come behind somebody and go, all right, cut all that out, rebuild all this. And so, yeah, work hand in hand with the production designer a lot. Tell me how you approach Killers of the Flower Moon. I'm really curious, other than the safe gag, what else were you involved with? Oh, gosh, there was, here's something you wouldn't know. When we started in Killers of the Flower Moon, they, in Oklahoma, they burn their fields. They burn all the ranches to neutro- to uh, put nutrients back into the soil so that the grass comes back a lot better, stronger, and healthier for the cows. While they were doing that, it brought up questions concerning fire protection and Molly's house, the first house in the ranch. We built that from the ground up. That was built by the production designer, Jack Fisk. And Jack came to me and said, with, well, with locations, they said, hey, we're really concerned about fire protection. Can you come up with something? 
So I had to design a system that could be put in place within a half an hour. If we knew a fire was coming down, we could just turn a switch on and everybody could walk away and know that it's being saved, know that it's been, been protected. But that's not something that would ever, you would never know because it's not in the film, it has nothing to do with the film. It just had everything to do with protecting the set. We didn't want it to burn down. That's another me in production and location, production designer and location, something that's behind the scenes that nobody would ever know about. To get into how we would do the film, it was with a UPM and producers that, that my boss and I had worked with previously. So they called us to hire us for the job. They knew what we were going to bring to the table. Once we got the job and we got into the production meetings, that's when you start getting into the nitty gritty. Okay. It says there's oil squirting from the ground. Is that coming from the ground? Is that coming from the oil, Derek? How do you want it to look? Is it an artistic rendition of, of oil coming down on something? Or are we going with realistic? This is what really happened. That's usually a tug of war with me and productions or a director. In reality, this is how it works. Are we going with reality or are we going with an artistic rendition? Or is it something completely different that I am not aware of? Open for whatever, but my job is all based on reality. I want a bit, I want an audience to go, Oh yeah. Okay. That would really happen. It's not a superhero film. Not everybody's not flying. Cars don't drive down the road sideways. So are we saying that it's black eyes or are we saying that, no, this is a dream sequence or so it's going through the whole film and logging down what the director's actually wanting to present to the audience to tell the story. And once I get all of that, then I go back to my shop and I go, okay, Let's show them this. Let's put this on video. Hey, this is a talking point. Is this kind of what you're feeling? Is this what you're thinking about? How do you want to adjust it? We could do this or we could do that. We could change the color. We could. So I, that's what I normally do is I'll start off a film way before a lot of people are hired and we just work out like the major parts. There's a lot of stuff that's in a film that is just cut and dry. That's just how you do it. And don't worry about it. I got that taken care of. Fire looks like this and da da. But it's a big collaboration at the beginning, just to make sure that I'm on the same page as the director so that I tell the same story as what the director's telling. And I help amplify the story that the director's tell, trying to tell. I imagine every director is different, but. Oh yeah. <laughs> Are you dealing with, to get those ideas of yours across to them and for them to get the ideas back to you. Spielberg's big on storyboards from what I remember. I don't know about Scorsese though. How do you make that communication? How do you make that connection? Scorsese was a little bit different. He doesn't like paper. He doesn't like the sound of paper turning. It's better to hit him with visuals. I know it's, but that's, those are directors. They, they're quirky. They're, they have certain nuances about them that you have to, I have to adjust my approach. Every show is different. Every show, I can't just come in and draw a picture and go, is that what you're looking for? And the director goes, yeah, that's fine. With Scorsese, what we did was we took, it was the oil. What did we do? We did the oil. We did the ground, the hails fire. And there was one other thing that I, that I tell the, the gunshot, the head gunshot. So I did three different renditions or versions of the oil, three different renditions of ground fire and three different renditions of a head shot of a gunshot wound to the head. 
and I started the conversation with him. So I went, I queued it up. I made a video, a whole video for him. And I sat my computer down in front of him and I said, this is what we're discussing. And I just want to lock in what you like, what we're close to, so on and so forth. So it was much more of a visual thing with Marty than it was trying to talk through it. Cause sometimes somebody may say black, but they really mean Coca-Cola color. So it's much easier to lock in the exact decisions or the, the exact direction that a director wants you to go in if you have a video, because then you can talk about it further down the road. I don't know. You remember number two that you showed me, it was like this and like that. And it wasn't drips coming down. They were oblong and they were weird. They look, look like beans or jelly beans. And that's how precise he gets. He wanted that oil to be exactly what you saw at the beginning of the film. That was to his direction. Because what I showed him was oil. In reality, going back to reality, it's a great starting point. Okay, this is what it really looks like. This is motor oil. This is oil from the ground. What do you want? What are you looking for? Because that was the oil thing. The beginning sequence was a big to-do. Everybody was screwed up with it. Everybody. Oh, it's got to come out of oil, Derek. No, you have to drill to get oil. It doesn't just come out of the ground. Because in the script, it doesn't read as it's a, as it's a, a, an artistic rendition. I didn't find that out until I did all the videos and I sat down, just me and Marty alone in his trailer. And he told me, and he said, no, this is what I'm looking for. It's, it's an opening montage. This is what the story's about. It's not reality. It's not based in reality. They never danced around oil squirting up from the ground. He goes, this, I'm shooting it like this, and I'm shooting it like that. And when you say things like that to me, then it's like, okay, the gloves are off. I know exactly what to do. But all it said in the script was the Osage danced around the oil coming from the ground. That's all it said. So it just left this big, wide open question for everybody because it, does, it just doesn't make sense. Oil just doesn't squirt up from the ground. So once we locked that in, once I talked to him and I locked that in, then it was smooth sailing from then from there on out. But that's part of the fun. That's part of the, that's part of the taking the image from one person's mind and turning it into reality. And the better that I can do that, the more jobs I get. How long do you work with Martin Scorsese before you get to call him Marty? Oh, right off the bat. Just call me Marty. Yeah. Just call me Marty. He's a great guy. I'd work with him in a heartbeat again. Yeah. He, true filmmaker. Oh. 